Good morning. This morning we uh, continue in our series, God's Good Design, looking at uh, biblical manhood, womanhood, seeing what God has to say about our genders and how we fulfill our roles, our God-given desires, uh, design that He has and how that fits with, with His desire to, uh, to make us His people. So let's pray as we look toward the Word this morning. Father, we, we bow ourselves. We humble ourselves this morning. We pause to consider what you might say to each of us this morning. We long to hear from you. We long for your direction, for your guidance, for your encouragement, for your affirmation. This is a weighty topic. We ask for your help as we embrace it, as we think through and consider what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Eric got us started off last week. It uh, was a good start, and uh, he, he had a slide here about a construction project. I'm also in construction, and, and those blueprints, man, I tell you, the smallest little detail. We, we uh, inspector called me one day, said, Mike, you've got to get over here. I jump in the truck and run over there. He, the, the mason had, had erected about, about 400 feet of, well, maybe not that long, but 200 feet of wall, and, and they put the flashing... Instead of doing it like this, they did it like that. Small little thing. But as an owner, I'm going to get water in the base of that wall for the next 30 years if I accept what he had built. And I pointed to the plans. I said, no, it's like this, not like that. That's a $125,000 loss to the contractor. But, but see, the smallest thing sometimes makes a big difference. And it's the same thing with our lives, isn't it? It's the same thing how I think about my role as a man is what we're trying to embrace this morning. What's God's design? What does this book have to say about me being a man in my home, in my church, in my community, in my workplace? Does it give me any help? It's a tremendous assignment. We're, we're so confused these days in our culture. We don't, we don't know which end is up. We don't know where to go. You, you feel like this. You know, I'm, how am I supposed to operate? How am I supposed to go forward? That's what I hope we've shed some light on this morning. So as we get started here, there's three, <coughs> Eric encourages, there's three levels here to think through. One for ourselves, for the world, for the glory of God. And he gave us a couple of good points here to get started on. First, that authority comes from God. Author, authority comes from the author, right? You see that in the word there. And we're subject to God's authority. But that's a good thing because God is good. And we are created in God's image. We're going to talk about that here this morning. Now, if you happen to be a young lady this morning or a woman in the audience, I I, I encourage you to stay with us mentally. Don't just check out. Because there's a couple of three reasons why why this is a teaching that, that you would want to hear and you would want to understand what's being taught. First, the 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 role that you play in this wonderful design that God has called us to as men. That you, as a woman, should expect men to rise to the occasion. You should expect men to be, to be all that we're going to talk about this morning. And don't accept anything less. Don't, don't accept a boy who can shave. No, you want a man to take your hand in marriage. You want a man to step forward. And he's worth waiting for. Okay? So set the bar high as to who you would court, who you would date. You, you 
are a daughter of the king. Don't treat yourself cheaply. Treat yourself with dignity, with respect, with honor. Second, the second uh, thing to talk about here in the role of a man is that as a wife or as a mother or as a, as a woman, as a young lady, you have a profound influence on us. You are way, you're vastly immeasurable, powerful in your encouragement. I think about my own bride. And, uh, you know, what, what beauty and grace and joy and song she brings into my life. My life would be so dry without her. So mundane. We're going to celebrate 40 years of marriage this year in June. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth clapping for. But, but you think about the role of a woman in the in life of a man, and it's just, it, it carries tremendous weight. When you come behind your man and say, hey, I really appreciated you reading the Bible with our teenage daughter today. That was, that was huge, you know. Or, hey, you did a good job. Or, I'm proud of you. These simple affirmations speak so loudly in the, in the ear of a man. And third, we need to realize that where, where an ideal situation is lacking, the grace of God abounds. You, you may have come from a home where you didn't have a, a father in the home. Or maybe it's a single parent situation, or maybe it's a widow, or maybe it's a divorce. And, and, and for some reason, this ideal situation about what a man should be and what a man should do isn't being played out. We'll realize that the grace of God abounds in those situations. You think about Hagar, you think about Ruth in that, in that book over there. And you see how the ear of God is attuned to a broken-hearted mama. That he listens. So, well, let's get started here as we jump in. God is good, isn't he? We, we were reminded last week that God's the potter, we're the clay. He's the one that fashions us, molds us. It's him that gives us that design. So we'll jump in here. I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Genesis 2, verse 7 or so. It says there, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being or a living soul. See, see the origin of man here is important, isn't it? This is the doctrine of Imago Deo. It's the elevated view of man and, and God's creation. And we hold to that as a church. It's God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to reign and to rule on the earth as his representatives. Human beings have an elevated worth regardless of their contribution to society or their social status or their physical abilities. Humans carry within them the Imago Deo, the image of God that's stamped into us. Remember the... the uh, the sanctity of life teaching we had back in January. Remember back to that. We're not valuable because of what we bring to society, but we're valuable because of who made us. It's inherent within our being, and we should protect and nurture life in all its forms and all its stages. Old, young, rich, poor, black, white. Right? The old children's song, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Still true today. So, as we get started here, what does it mean to be a man? Now, we understand that, that being a man is not, just a, um, it's not just a biological pronouncement. 
it's not male or female. It's, it's, it's being a man. It's taking on something that God gives us, right? So we go back to Genesis 2, verse 15. We see here, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to work it. Did you, did you get out in your flower beds yesterday? Did you, did you get out in your garden yesterday? What do, you, what do you do? What do you do when you cultivate the ground? Well, you, you, you get the rocks out because they're no, no real value, right? You get the trash out. You get the weeds out, the things that are growing there that shouldn't be growing there, right? I get confused on that. My wife gets a little upset because, man, I'm out in there. I'm going to... And she, no, 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 no. You got to do it gentle. gentle. <laughs> I'm getting out the, you know... We work it through, okay? It's a conversation. We'll just leave it at that. But, but see, God's given this task of cultivating the ground, okay? Now, if you would let your mind wander a little bit into that task of cultivation, don't limit that to just a bunch of dirt. How do you see that with your son? How do you see that with your daughter, with your home, with your job, right? It's, it's the same task, isn't it? It's, it's, it's putting the good thing in and taking the bad thing out and planning and creating and you want to put this bush here or that bush. What do you want to grow? Right? It's getting the, getting the dirt loosened up so the, so the roots can grow deep and hold firm and be nurtured and not be dried up when the summer sun comes. Right? Scorched. Right? So man is given two tasks. He's to cultivate it, to keep it. Um, he's given a work to do a will to obey, and a woman to love. Now, we need to understand, too, that work is not a result of the fall, okay? Because God's giving work here, and Eve's not even there yet, right? And the fall hasn't happened yet. So frustration in work came as a result of the fall. But it's not that Adam is given a life of leisure and luxury and sits on an island somewhere. No, no, no. He's given work to do. Man, we, we, we were created to work. That's, that's what happens when men work, right? In the novel, The Secret Garden, the little girl asks the gardener, she says, could I have just a bit of earth, sir? English book, I think. A bit of earth, sir, that I could cultivate. And I remember asking the Lord for that when we got our first house, the townhouse. Lord, would you give us just a little bit of earth? Just a little space where we could create something that's valuable and give shelter and protection and growth and having your first home. It was, it was marvelous, right? And you think about the old country western song, The House That Made Me. And, and it did. You worked day and night on that thing. You took responsibility. This is my home. I need, to, I need to get it right. I need to fix it up, right? You take out a construction loan. You say, oh my goodness, debt on top of debt. But we made it. We did it, Okay. And uh, you just think about how uh, sometimes men st- have to step into responsibilities to provide for their families. And you think you're just working on the house, but in reality, the house is working on you. The house is changing who you are as a man because it gives you confidence. It gives you affirmation. You can do it. You know, you wander through Home Depot long enough and ask enough people, how, 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 does, how does this fit together, right? You know, and uh, it's, been, it's been good. But man's designed to work, not to be lazy. And, and in our working, we're like God. We're taking on the character qualities of God that we're bringing life and order out of darkness and chaos. 
That's what he did, right? When God spoke, he created and he brought order and beauty out of chaos and darkness. So that's, uh, that's what a man's called to do. And when men step into that responsibility, when we step forward and say, I'll take it, God. I'll accept my response. I'll embrace it. I will execute it. I will, uh, I'll do it, God. I'll submit to you. Then societies, communities, churches, families, we thrive. But when men shrink back, when we retreat, when we walk away, when we abandon the responsibilities God calls us to, families, communities, cultures dry up. They just burn. They fall apart. Go to inner city Baltimore. Drive around. You say, what happened here? What happened? I did, mile after mile after block after block of just homes just boarded up. What it's, it's a picture of men walking away when no one took responsibility. No one stepped forward. Now men, how do we, how do we fail to do this, right? A couple of three ways. And we'll get a teaching on this next week. But when we're passive, we're unengaged, we're too busy to care. That's one way. Passive. Second, we can be authoritarian. We can be too harsh and injure the little people and the bride that we're given. Right? We can, we can, we can be too harsh. My way or the highway. No, no, no. That's, that's too... Christ is our model. He, he didn't call down fire from heaven, did he? When the disciples said, why don't you, right? Christ is our model. Humility, servant leadership, support, love, care, nurture, encouragement, all those things. A smoldering wick, he doesn't put it out, right? He builds it up. He fans it into flame, okay? Selfishness, the last one, the third reason that men walk away from their response, in my, my view. Either we abuse our authority we value money or possessions or pleasure more than the people themselves. Okay? Maybe addictions. Maybe alcoholism. Maybe pornography. These things lead our affections away from our God-given responsibility to be His men. Right? So when there's a loving father in the home, when daddy says, come on, son, you can do it. Come on, sweetheart. You're special. You're special to me. You hold a special place. When they've got a daddy in their life, everybody thrives. Everybody does better. When that man is a servant leader and he's there, everything improves. Crime rates, poverty, uh, high school dropouts, all those things can kind of fade to the background when daddy's in the home. It's a role as a man, a daddy that coaches, he encourages, he counsels. So the biblical word for this is headship. And I know that's got some weight, it's got some, some things, but, but it's, the, it's the biblical word. And it takes us right to Ephesians 5. We'll get there in a minute. But as I saw that, and I tried to describe it to my daughters, I said, you know, it's, a, it's, it's like an umbrella, sweetheart. This, is, this represents my care for you. Daughter, wife, son, okay? If you go beyond the realm of this umbrella, I can't help you. I remember my son one night, one of my sons. He said, Dad, I'm, I, it was a young lady that he was trying to protect. He said, I got a baseball bat in my Jeep. I'm on my way over to 
meet with somebody. I said, no, 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 no. You turn that car around, son. You're 18 now. I can't protect you anymore. Are you willing to go to jail for that young lady? Oh, maybe I should rethink that. Yeah, maybe you should. Okay? Don't take the offense of someone else. It wasn't even his girlfriend. Okay? Anyway, small point. Is, is, is this umbrella represent the protection of the Father? Right? So, it's, it's a wonderful thing that you can give men as you step forward and lead your families. It's a wonderful thing to provide. You don't get wet if you stand under here. You're protected. It's a good mental picture. Okay? We go to the Word of God. Well, one more little story for you. Okay? As I would walk my daughters down the aisle, and that's, I tell you, man, that's a, that's a difficult assignment. That's a long day to give your daughter away. And, you, and you, we're walking down the aisle, and, and Becky, I can pick on you. And you pull that veil back, and you give them a little kiss on the cheek, and, and you take her hand, and you now place it in the hand of that new husband. I said, now, Jason, I've got a no-returns policy, right? It's a, it's a one-time gift, right? So, so the small symbolic act. But what am I saying in that? I'm saying, she's out from under my umbrella, and she's under yours. Now, I know the women's feminist movement, you say, I don't need no umbrella. I understand. I'm giving you what the Bible says this morning. We can argue culture all day long, but that small symbolic act to me is a transfer of that headship, of that responsibility that the man carries. Let's go to the Word of God, okay? Ephesians 5. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. They might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Then he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it cherishes it just as Christ also does the church for we are members of his body staggering thought isn't it that as a, as a man in my home I represent Christ Jesus I'm to give myself away my life is to be wrung out for those I care about just as Jesus laid down his life I'm to lay down my life small acts, big acts, kind acts all these things that's what a man does it's headship. Now, the, word, the Greek word here is kaleo, or where the brain is. Now, let me ask you something. The brain isn't at war with any of the parts, right? It rece- it's not to say that the wife can't have her opinion. She does, I believe me. Okay? But, but, but the brain receives messages from the body, doesn't it? It considers. My wife is my first and best counselor. I've learned that the hard way. Okay? You, you have to listen, man. You have to receive those messages and then give direction, okay? So headship is a unique leadership role of the man in establishing order for his home. Christ is our model, okay? So this is played out in three tasks. First, sacrificial love. As Christ gives himself to the church, he gives him himself, okay? 
Gary Thomas's book here, Cherish, is a pretty good read. I've read a little bit of it. But do we cherish our spouses? Do we cherish that bride of ours that God's given us to love and to care for the way Christ does? Millions of couples around the world have pledged to love and to cherish until death do us part. Most of us understand the love part. But do we cherish? Exploring and understanding what it means to cherish each other will enrich and deepen and spiritually strengthen our marriages. Cherish uh, is an idea that helps us better understand what we're called to do and who we are to be in marriage. Learning to truly cherish each other turns marriage from an obligation into a delight. That's a good read for you. The second second uh, thing a man does is spiritual direction. He sets the spiritual climate or temperature in the home. The children tend to follow daddy. We should be initiating conversations of depth, displaying the grace of God, maintaining close relationships where the gospel can thrive. Do we lead our families in prayer, men? Do we pray with our spouses? Do we pray at meals? Do we engage with those in our family? Third thing, physical care and provision. Shelter, clothing, food, basic needs. Men work hard to provide these things. And they, they mirror to us the image of God. Develop closeness with those you love. See, it's expected that, that in our physical care and provision and in our, in our spiritual uh, direction that, that we understand and we, we enter into the lives of our children and the lives of our spouse. We carry their burdens. We listen well. We go sit on our teenage daughter's bed and say, hey, how you doing? Great. I mean, I, I know it gets, it gets weary because I want to go to bed. I don't want to have an hour-long conversation with my daughter, but, but I need to. I need to extend myself into their world, right? I need to be a part of what... Because there needs to be a daddy in their life. There needs to be someone who's listening. Mamas too. But daddy brings an authority that perhaps the mother doesn't give, right? He, he, he gives a, a perspective that's different. And then two, it seems that when we fail men, when we mess up, we lose our temper. We act the wrong way. We, we blow it, okay? And we go back to our spouse. We go back to that child and say, you know what, honey, that was, that was me. That wasn't you. I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That displays the grace of God too. So either way, through our successes or through our failures, we're teaching about God. We're representing God. What a, what a tremendous task. What an honorable task. What a wonderful task we've been given. It seems men stand the tallest sometimes when they stoop. When we stoop to lift someone up. Uh, when we, for me, I'll stop and help somebody on the side of the road. Okay? Some of you shouldn't do that, but, but for me, it's okay. Um, and, and I'll pray about it. I'll say, Lord, should I stop? Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But, but a sense of, of uh, unexpected provision or unexpected generosity or kindness, an act of kindness, that sometimes we, our children see that and they, and they begin to catch it. But this is the great heart of God that we should be giving away to other people. So these three tasks, uh, sacrificial love, 
spiritual direction, physical care. Now, those have to be kept in balance, don't they? I can't provide one and not the other. I've got to provide all three, right? It's a good thing. Psalm 128 gives us a good picture here of, the, of how a man can see the blessing of God on his life, on his home, and those whom he cares about. Okay, moving on. Now, I've got some single men here. And you single men are saying, he hasn't spoken to me all morning. This ain't me, pal. I'm not married yet, right? What's my job? Well, run hard after God. Run hard after the Lord. Seek Him because you act on borrowed authority. God gives you borrowed authority, model sacrificial love, to, to be setting a spiritual direction, right? Maybe the physical provision isn't there yet. You don't have mortgages and perhaps debt and all that stuff that you get later on. But, but pursue God's calling for your life. Develop your own maturity. Think about Second Timothy there. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 21. Therefore, if any man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we've talked about men in the home. How about men in the church? Does God have any direction for that? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 10. Here are the expectations of an elder. It's a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife... Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert so that he won't become deceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or food or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must first be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they're above reproach. What do we get here, saints? Well, he's a one-woman kind of man, right? He keeps his vows. He stays faithful. He's sober-minded. He's self-controlled. He's not a lover of money. These are the men that should be in leadership in Christ's church. The second half, we'll move on here. Genesis 2, and looking now more about men and the culture. God's design, his intent... We go back to Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the garden, said, cultivate it and keep it. Let's talk about that second half for a minute. Cultivate it, we get that. That's active. The keeping it, the guarding it, that can be a little more passive, isn't it? We can be lulled to sleep there, can't we? Man, we need to protect our homes. We need to protect our daughters. We need to protect our wife. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. You know, you hear, you're laying in bed, you hear something in the night. Who gets up to go, the dog's going nuts. What, what, <laughs> you ever had a squirrel in your house? 
or a bat, or a, what was the other thing? A, a, a pigeon. Oh, I brought that in. <laughs> that was my fault. Okay. <laughs> you ever had an animal run? Anyway, there's things in your home. Maybe you need to lock the doors at night. I've started doing that as we've gotten older. I said, you know, I, I was young. I didn't even think about it. We never locked the doors. There's too many kids going in and out, right? But as I've gotten older, it's just the two of us now. I lock those doors. Every, and that's my responsibility, right? It's my thing. I don't ask her to do it. It's mine. Okay, this idea of guarding, of keeping. In our, in our crazy culture, I would have a conversation as my daughters came of age. If a young man tries to take advantage of you in any way, we would have that conversation. Okay? Defend yourself. You have permission to do that. Go for the eyes. I mean, get mean. Protect yourself, young lady. There are people who would harm you out there. You're out in the mall. You're out in a public place. It seems it gets worse and worse and worse. Okay? Protect yourself. It should be men who are sent to the front lines in battle to fight, to guard, to protect us. We should not send our women there. We know this in our gut, right? The next slide here. I've got two examples for you. One positive, one negative. I won't say a word. Which, which one acted like a man? Do you know the stories? That one. Sully, I love him. Love him. He trained hard. He acted decisively. He took seriously the response. I'll give you the stories on both, okay? January 13, 2012. Italian cruise ship, Costia Concordia, ran aground, capsized, later sank. Struck an underwater rock. Okay? The vessel was on its first leg of a, of a cruiser in the Mediterranean Sea. The captain turned off the autopilot and said, I'll steer the boat. Struck a rock formation. Six-hour rescue effort. Most of the pastors made it, okay? But 33 people did not. 27 pastors, five crew members, later one member of the salvage team. The captain was charged with manslaughter, as he rightly should be. He violated the Italian law on three counts. First, he caused the shipwreck himself owning to imprudence, negligence, and incompetence, resulting in the death of others. Secondly, he left the shipwreck. Can you imagine? You jerk, you just did this, and now you're going to save your skin and leave? He left 300 people on the boat. He left. He, didn't take, he, was, he was not fit to be a captain in the first place, was he? You see that in hindsight, because he acted selfishly. He was more, the, the first rule of the sea is what? The captain goes down with his ship. He has skin in the game. He's invested. He's not a third party, right? Do you get this man? How many of us drive the boat up on the rocks and then we say, honey, you got to fix it? No, no. We get in debt, it's our problem. We wreck the car, it's our problem. Okay, take responsibility. Do not be passive. Do not sit back. Second, second situation here. Uh, Sully, right? January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways flight 1549. Comes out of New York City, LaGuardia Airport, headed to Charlotte, North Carolina. Struck a flock of birds shortly after takeoff. All the engines dead. Now you've got a jetliner with 155 people on board. What are you going to do? 
You've got seconds. 37 seconds, I think it is, that he had to safely maneuver that plane somewhere. And you're in New York City. There ain't no place to land down there. The only place I can land and won't kill someone else is in the water. And so that's what he does. He tells the crew, brace for impact. That's his instruction. I want to do this as well as I can, but brace for, there's no place else to land, okay? Um, landing this powerless jetliner became known as the Miracle on the Hudson. National Transportation Safety Board described it as the most successful water landing in aviation history. The pilots in the attendance were awarded the Master's Medal in recognition for their heroic and unique aviation achievement. He was well prepared. He was disciplined. He acted decisively, and he took seriously his responsibility to take care of those 155 people on that airplane. That's what men do. Men stand up. They step in. They take responsibility. I'll lead. What gives that kind of confidence? Where can you find that kind of confidence? In Christ. He gives that. He's our model, men. We've been hardwired to do that. Protect and keep the garden. To protect the ones we love. How do we do this? How do we, a tremendous chance, task of, of how do we teach our boys to become men? It's not just a biological thing, is it? I bring my baseball gloves because I coached for 16 years the league. I didn't really care about baseball. But I cared about my boy. So I go to a practice, the first one with Caleb. And I overhear the coach, the, the coach. He's cursing at my young boy, my eight-year-old. He's using foul language. He might have even used the F word. I don't remember. But I came away from that meeting. I said, I don't know nothing about baseball, but I know something about a young man. And you're not going to treat my kid that way. So next year, I was head coach. And we had a great time. So then we, we made it with Caleb, and then Ben played, and Johnny played. and so. But... but we would go throw the baseball. I'd come home from work and we'd throw the ball back and forth. Back and forth. And I'm just building common ground. I'm just, hey, how can I keep a finger in this little guy's life? How, how can I show him that I want to extend myself to him? That I want to care for him? I want to be his coach in life, not just in baseball. Be his coach, be his counselor, be his friend for a lifetime. Because it doesn't stop. So Robert Lewis helps us here. He says a real man, he rejects passivity. A little mnemonic here you might want to remember. Rejects passivity as the R. He expects God's blessing. He accepts responsibility. Lord, I'll take it. And he leads courageously. He leads out. He steps forward. That's what a godly man does. The book there is Robert Lewis, Raising a Modern Day Knight. This is a good read for you men. And Stu Weber, another one that's very helpful, both tender warrior and, uh, and the four pillars of a man's heart. In here he describes four pillars as if it was four posts on a structure, right? That, that these are the roles that are helpful in a man as he, as he tries to live out this responsibility. Well, sometimes I have to be a king. What's a king do? Well, a king looks ahead he provides order. He provides structure. He makes sure everybody's fed. Right? Nobody starves to death. You think back to the Pharaoh and Joseph back in Genesis. Right? And that was the, the role of Pharaoh. He, he preserved the grain so nobody starved to death in that f- seven years of famine. 
right? A king, he sets up cities, he, he creates, he, he has provision, he leads, he protects, provides. A wise mentor, well, dad's supposed to know. Go ask dad. Yeah, you are supposed to know, <laughs> okay? So uh, maybe learn some things about the things your child is interested in, just to build common ground. But so many things, I, I think about so many things. Uh, uh, Stephen worked with me for a little while. I mean, so many things I want to teach him. Okay, this is how you run the saw and not cut your thumb off. You know, this is how you do this. This is, this is what goes wrong on a car. This is how you handle your money. There's so much transfer that needs to happen as a man steps into, as a young man. Now, some cultures do this better than others, right? In, in the Jewish culture, I understand there's a bar mitzvah, right? And, and there's a line in the sand that says, okay, you were a boy on that side, and now you're a man over here. We accept you into the community of men. We're, we're not so good at doing that, but man, I, I wish we were. I wish we were better at it and calling our boys up and affirming who they are and teaching and training and transferring, okay? These kind of things. That, that, that the task of raising a boy to be a man, seeking common ground. Wise mentor, a tender warrior, third, okay? One who fights, one who fights. And what do I have to fight? Well, first I have to fight the evil in my own heart. Okay? I have to fight my selfishness. I have to fight my selfish desire. I, and, and then I have to fight the evil that's out there that would injure those who are here under my umbrella of realm of responsibility. Right? So a tender warrior. And then a loving friend who shows sacrificial love. He listens. He encourages. Now, how do we do this, man? Well, maybe we should have close relationships. Maybe we should link arms. You know, maybe we should have people in our lives, in our life groups, in our home groups, people in our lives that would help us to carry this responsibility, to help us carry and fulfill the things God's called us to, to have relationships of openness, where I have an open heart before you, my brother. If you see sin in my life, you can call it out. I give you permission. Hey, can we challenge each other? Can we encourage each other? Can we build on one another's lives? I think it was Martin Luther King said, uh, uh, we, can, we can die separately as, as strangers or we can... How's it go? I'll have to remember that one. Something about we can live together as brothers or die apart as fools. Right? There's wisdom and strength. There's wisdom in, in having an open life before my brother that we can lean on each other. So that's where we are. A biblical man. How do we do it? Hmm? How do we strengthen each other? How do we live this out, saints? It's quite a task. The weight of it. The weight of it. Is it the, the, give it your consideration. Give it your thoughts. Am I living out, God, what you want me to do with my life as a man? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for your challenge in this culture to live as a man who's looking to you, a man who's dependent on you, a man of prayer, a man of heart, a man of compassion. We, we ask you to help us. We ask you to teach us. And uh, we look to you, Christ Jesus, in your name. Amen.